Well, this is chapter 20 is sort of remarkable in the regards that Abraham again lies about Sarah being his wife, saying she's my sister. And in chapter 20, the character study goes away from Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, and it goes back over to Abraham and Sarah, and their soon-to-be-born son, Isaac. In chapter 17, God changed the names of Abram to Abraham, father of nations, and he also changed Sarai's name to Sarah, mother of nations. But as of yet, they still don't have one child together as a, as a husband and wife. Uh, parents of nations, but not one child. That's almost comical if it weren't for the power of God. But God has come on the scene, and he's promised Abraham and Sarah, and he's promised them a son within a year. Uh, and in chapter 20 of Genesis, we find ourselves in that one-year period waiting for Isaac to be born. Chapter 19, again, it gives us the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels who rescued Lot and his family. But we also read about Lot's wife, uh, her being judged as she looked back towards Sodom, and she looked back towards the sin, the pleasure of Sodom. And the Lord turned her into a pillar of salt. The evilness in Lot's wife's heart required God to judge her. But we also see the compassion, the love, the uh, the beauty of God in rescuing Lot and his family. And we see God in his mercy and grace. He takes Lot and his daughters out and uh, Lot's wife out of Sodom. But she looks back. And she becomes an example, Lot's wife does, of God's judgment. Whenever sinful mankind refuses to turn away from sin, we will hear words of the Lord, like Jesus said in Luke, remember Lot's wife. She is an example of how God judges sin. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, remember that I was required to judge her. Even though she had been rescued, she looks back and God says, I have to judge her. It's interesting, I shouldn't say interesting, I think it's a warning to us, I think, of sin, that sin is not out to give you a difficult day. Sin is not out to uh, make you remorseful or regret some things perhaps you've done or said. Sin is out to destroy you.
That's his purpose. Lot's wife, her final sin, is a casual sin almost. She looks back over her shoulder perhaps, back upon Sodom that fire and brimstone is raining down upon, but in her heart she longs for Sodom and God destroys her. And she becomes an example for all of mankind And that example is never be casual about sin. It's a dangerous thing to get casual about sin. In chapter 19, verses 27 and 29, Sodom and Gomorrah have been destroyed. Abram, Abraham rather, he looks back upon the the valley, the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's like the smoke of a furnace ascending to heaven. And as Abraham looks upon it, I'm sure he's filled with terror and, you know, and remorse for the people there. But let's read chapter 20 of Genesis, 18 verses there, and let's read it. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south, and he dwelt between Kadesh and Sur, and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. Said of his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and he said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man, because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours." So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called on his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view, or what did you have in mind, that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on the account of my wife. But indeed she is truly my sister, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say to me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep 
oxen, male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants, and they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. What a story. <laughs> the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were east of where Abraham had been grazing his flocks. Abraham looks at this. It was a high place, and he looked down on these plains. And now Abraham, he heads towards the south, towards Gerar. Sarah, she's 90 years old. She's pregnant. She probably is starting to show starting to protrude a, little, uh, protrude a little bit here by this time. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, in a show of his authority, in a show of his strength, in that area that Abraham has traveled to, he takes Sarah by force into his harem. And Abraham, he's once again proclaimed, Sarah is my sister. He lies again, same lie, and it's the same reason for the lie, out of fear, Abraham lies. Fear will distort your thinking. It will distort you when you consider uh, financial investments. If you're investing in something out of fear, be very careful. We're never to make a decision based upon fear. Abraham's claim that Sarah is my sister, it worked for him in the past, and he's going to use it once again. So he lies again. And in verse 16, we read that Sarah is also part of this lie. It appears that Abimelech has perhaps come upon Abraham and his uh, entourage, his, his group of shepherds and so forth, suddenly, and it appears that he's come upon them in a forceful way, and Abraham lies about Sarah. Abimelech, he takes Sarah into his harem. Isn't that amazing? This woman is 90 years old. We don't think of harems being being full of grandmothers, you know. Uh, and but she is still attractive enough, and has enough beauty that she's taken into a harem at ninety years of age. Abraham he fell back into his old plan of lying to protect himself. Fear has brought forth this moral breakdown in Abraham, who is a man of faith, and he's a godly man, but he got afraid, and he lied. 
I don't know why, but sometimes we're surprised with the urge or the temptation to sin. It should never surprise us that we're tempted to sin. Fear and temptation to sin happen to be one of Satan's most effective tools against believers. When we examine Abraham's lie, you kind of think, how could he be so foolish? How could he be so weak to do this all over again? He's already been uh, chastised by the Lord and by the king of Egypt for this same lie. But it's the same scenario. And again, Abraham lies. It would be so easy to be very hard on Abraham here. But when we stop and think, have you ever repeated a sin? <laughs> don't want to go there, do you? <laughs> or at least I don't. Yeah, we repeat our sins, don't we? And God is gracious and he forgives us. And in our scripture reading this morning, uh, we read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But it speaks there of the sin which so easily ensnares every one of us. Each and every one of us have a weak area that we're prone to sin in. It's easy to say to Abraham, what are you doing? But how about ourselves when we repeat a sin that so easily ensnares us? We get a little understanding then of why Abraham lied. But you know, it's important as a Christian, as a believer, we're to be wise against sin. We're, re we're warned time and again in Scripture that Satan goes about what? As a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he uses sin to devour us. We all face temptation to sin, and we face it on a daily basis. And anyone that is in the workplace, anyone that goes to school, we face the temptation to sin. You can hear things like, oh, you are such a caring and compassionate person. Does your husband or wife really appreciate you? Sinful thought planted. <laughs> or, you're such a fun person. My mate is such a stick in the mud. Bad thought planted. <laughs> you know, and we can feed off of these bad thoughts if we're not careful. Job in chapter 31, verse 1, he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a young maiden. Job understood that looking upon sin would pull you into sin and the temptation became greater. So Job planned ahead, planned ahead not to sin. We're to never have sin surprises. We're to have a plan against sin. Abimelech. He suddenly overtakes Abraham. Abraham 
did not have a up-to-date plan in his life to avoid sinning. This is not the first time that Sarah has been taken from him. This is not the first time an evil king has took his wife, yet Abraham has made no plans to avoid sinning, to avoid lying. The first time, of course, was when Abraham went down to Egypt. This time, it's when Abraham travels towards Egypt. He's going south. And Egypt represents sin. Whenever you read of Egypt in Scripture, it's, it's tied to sin. The king of that region, Abimelech, he takes Sarah into his harem, and he takes her into his harem to show his strength, to show his power, and his plan is to sin against Sarah. But you know, God intervenes. God protects Abraham, and he protects Sarah, and he gives Abimelech a dream, a God-sent dream. Dreams, they can be a way God speaks to us to warn us of future events. Joseph, we know that Joseph had quite a few dreams, but Abimelech in his dream, a godless king, he is warned, do not go near Sarah. And God gets Abimelech's attention. You're a dead man if you do. Wow. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> you know, you're a dead man because you have taken another man's wife. And in this dream, Abimelech, we find him presenting his case or even presenting his argument before God. And he speaks to God and says, Abraham and Sarah declared to me that she was his sister. Will you destroy me even though I'm innocent? And then God tells Abimelech, I kept you from sinning against me. God says, it was not your goodness, Abimelech. I kept you from sinning. So don't act all righteous before me, Abimelech. I'm the one that kept you from sin. Now remember, Abimelech has took Sarah by force. And he's took her and he's placed her in his harem. And then God continues speaking to Abimelech, and he says, Restore Sarah to Abraham, for he is a prophet. And as a prophet, he will pray for you, and you shall live. We must understand here that there is a divine thing going on. God is not going to allow the womb that holds Isaac, a patriarch, he's not going to allow this evil king to contaminate the womb of Sarah. He's not going to allow it. This womb that has Isaac, who is in the lineage of who? Christ himself. 
And it's interesting to note that God's protection even reaches out to an unborn child here. God will not permit Abimelech, this evil king, to go near Sarah. And God tells Abimelech this. He says, I withheld you. And I withheld you from sinning against me. And Abimelech, just to make sure I've got your attention, you have an incurable disease. Oh, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) You're going to die, Abimelech, if Abraham doesn't pray for you. Now, it's been speculated by many scholars as to what incurable disease did Abimelech have. And many think that Abimelech had leprosy. Could have been. We don't know that for sure, but it's possible. But behind this whole scene, we see Satan desperately attempting to pollute the lineage line of Messiah. And God himself will not allow this, and it's that simple. God intervenes. He gives Abimelech this dream, and this dream scares him almost to death (laughs) because Abimelech awakes the next morning and he's extremely afraid. He's had this powerful dream and without a doubt he's also woke up and he's got signs of this incurable disease that is upon him. And leprosy, by the way, has pink spots. So that's why I think many of them think it was leprosy. But, uh, After Abimelech is woke up, he calls Abraham on the carpet. And he says, what have you done to us, Abraham? How have I offended you? Now remember, (laughs) this comes from Abimelech, who's taken Sarah, Abraham's sister or wife. And now he says, what have I done? You've just kidnapped a woman, Abimelech. How's that for a starter? <laughs> you know, you've, you've taken this woman, you've put her in your harem, and you say, what have I done? But Abraham can't say that, can he? You know why? Because his sin has silenced him. And sin will do that. Sin will take away our witness to the world. Abimelech, he's got Abraham on the run. And Abraham, he makes a pitiful excuse. And he says, actually, she is my sister. (laughs) But you know, a lie is simply when you mislead someone to believe something that isn't true. And the words you speak may be all true but it's the way you present it. If you cause someone to believe something that is not true, you have lied. We have beautiful examples of that in our world today. Our political leaders are extremely adept at lying. They present half-truths to try to get you to believe a complete lie. And they do it all the time. But the pressure to lie is not unique to Abraham. 
it goes on all the time in the everyday world. Plan ahead when you perhaps are pressured to lie. Plan ahead not to lie. And many times a boss will pressure you or try to pressure you to lie. And I heard of one example and I really liked it. This salesman was under pressure from his boss to stretch the truth on some products they were selling. And he said to his boss, he says, hey, look, I'm a Christian. I don't lie. You would not want me to lie to you, you being my employer, my boss. So please don't ask me to lie to someone else. And I thought, wow, that was a great answer. A great answer. He planned ahead how not to lie. Abraham's lie has caused him to make excuses. And they're very weak and they're very pitiful. But God intervenes. He's given Abimelech a dream. And that dream is so severe that he is afraid for his life. That's a startling dream. You, that might be categorized as a nightmare. <laughs> Abimelech needs this prophet Abraham to pray for him so he will live. And that's according to God's word. So Abimelech, he begins to shower Abraham with gifts. He gives him sheep. He gives them oxen. He gives them male and female servants, all kind of gifts. And he restores Sarah to Abraham. Here, have your wife or your sister back. And he says, and by the way, Abraham, the whole land is before you. Go graze your sheep wherever you desire. You know, it's kind of like my house is your house type thing. And Abimelech has softened his approach towards Abraham He's given him gifts, but he can't resist taking one last shot at Sarah. And that's in verse 16. And he tells Sarah, I have given your brother 1,000 pieces of silver. This vindicates you before everybody. This gift of silver is Abimelech's admission of guilt. If you don't do anything wrong, you don't have to give gifts, do you? But he gives a thousand pieces of silver to Abraham. But he also reproves Sarah. Abimelech's gift in restoring Sarah to Abraham, it works. It's had its effect on Abraham. Because Abimelech needs this prophet of God to pray for him. And in verse 17, we have Abraham praying for Abimelech, also praying that Abimelech's wives and maidservants will once again be fruitful, once again they will bear children. And it's interesting for it says, God has closed the wounds of the house of Abimelech. That takes a little time to notice. So Abimelech has been in this saga with 
Abraham for a little while to the point where they noticed that the wombs of Abimelech's wives and maidservants are barren. Now this is an interesting story to say the least, but what do we as believers today, what do we learn from this? What are the lessons we take for that? Well, I think one is we're to plan ahead not to fall into sin. Be wise against sin. Be wise in avoiding sin. Be like Job who made a covenant. He made a promise that he would not look upon young maidens, that his eyes wouldn't lead him into sin. And Job planned ahead not to sin. And next we need to understand that God is faithful. He's faithful to protect us even if he has to take a drastic measure like giving an evil king a dream of warning. I'm sure the words that you're a dead man, Abimelech, I'm sure they had his, their effect upon him. And we see God protecting Abraham and Sarah right in the middle of their weak, sinful moment. And that's encouraging. That is grace. Here they are, right in the midst of their lie, and yet God still protects them. Isn't it comforting to know that God's grace does not depend upon my righteousness? It's comforting to me. That's amazing grace, to say the least. Abimelech, he's made all his accusations against Abraham and Sarah, but the fact remains this evil king needs the prayers of the prophet for him to live. For he has an incurable disease that needs to be healed, and his way of healing is for this Abraham, this prophet, to pray for him. Abraham, he's caught in a lie. He's found not trusting God. But now he's called upon by Abimelech, pray for me. And it doesn't tell us that, God, uh, that Abraham was privy to what God said to Abimelech. It may have surprised Abraham that Abimelech now wants him to pray for him. But Abraham's obedient, and Abraham prays for him, and Abimelech lives. But guilt and condemnation, many times it keeps us silent. Keeps us from prayer when indeed we should be crying out to God in prayer. Guilt will do that many times. Right in the middle of Abraham's sin of deception, God uses him to pray for an evil king. And, of course, God answers that prayer. That had to be extremely humbling to Abraham. God is using me, even though I've been deceptive, even though I've lied and failed again, God still uses me. 
But Abraham's prayer is answered not because of his righteousness, but because God answers our prayers, and this is a critical one, out of the goodness of his heart. God answers our prayers out of the goodness of his heart. This should encourage us to be men and women of prayer. Do we take things to God in prayer or do we sort them out ourselves and prayer becomes our last option? I hope not. I hope not. We've got men here that will agree with you in prayer. We need to be a people that prays. If you need prayer, if you need someone to agree with you in prayer, there's people here that will agree with you in prayer. Take advantage of that. Nothing is too small, nothing is too big to take to our Lord in prayer. So let me get you to stand, and we'll close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your loving kindness towards Abraham, how you protected him, Lord, how you watched over him. Even though he failed and lied again, you still watched over him. You still took care of him. You still protected Sarah. You still protected your lineage through Isaac all the way down to Jesus. Thank you for your beautiful plan, Lord, that you had in place and that you wasn't going to allow this evil king to interfere with that. You weren't going to allow Satan to be victorious there. And we thank you for that, Lord. And, Lord, many of us face situations and need you to provide and need you to watch over us. And we need you to be our healer. We need you to be so many things, Lord. And so here we are, your people, crying out to you, our Lord and our God. And, Lord, our prayers are offered up to you knowing that out of the goodness of your heart that you hear us and we have the assurance that if you hear us, our prayers are answered. So we thank you for that in advance, Lord. But be with us. Don't let anyone leave here without calling upon you. Let us be quick to pray for one another, Lord, and lift all our needs up to you. Thank you again for delivering Abraham and Sarah, and thank you for delivering us. And we thank you and pray to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So